You're listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and this is The Evan Solomon Show. Happy Tuesday, beautiful coast to coast to coast Canada. How's it going? What a show we've got in the big show today. I'm just going to throw down the menu. Throw down the menu. As always, I've got your uh, proverbial political burger and fries, which means we always serve, you know, what, what's the beef, the political accountability, holding some feet to the fire. And we've got Bill Blair. We've got Minister Bill Blair in a minute, and I'll talk about it, on the emergencies, the National Inquiry into the Call of the Emergencies Act. So that's on the show. Bill Blair, will Cabinet open up all the documents? Did the government use the Emergencies Act during the trucker convoy protest appropriately? Did they meet the threshold or did they pull the trigger to try to crush dissent? Government says no, it was completely appropriate. And a lot of the opposition says they should never have used it. And there's new data on this, actually. Global News, and, and, and shout out to my uh, friend David Aiken there, who tweeted out that though the government has repeatedly said there was big economic harm because of the protests, actually cross-border trucking went up during the protest, not down. So credit to my pal Aiken on uh, tweeting that out. Um, so, so I'll put that to Bill Blair. But one of the reasons why I want to focus on the use of the Emergencies Act and the old trucker protest is because the nation's capital this weekend is being targeted with another convoy. Another convoy is coming. Ottawa police are saying, look, we need reinforcements from the RCMP and the OPP because up to a thousand bikers are coming in the rolling thunder motorcycle convoy that is coming to downtown Ottawa at the foot of Parliament Hill. And the interim police chief, Steve Bell, says, sorry, we are going to ban vehicles near that site, specifically the War Memorial. So people can come, but no vehicles. Here's what Chief Bell said. All of those different circumstances have been taken into account in our planning process. And, and we believe we've come up with a, a plan that... Um, adequately identifies potential risks. Okay, so they've got eventualities. And so how far are you going to go? He's pretty vague about it. Listen to this. We will not allow for unsafe or unlawful conditions that could lead to another unlawful protest as seen in February. So one of the organizers says, if you don't let us gather, if you don't let us come to the war memorial, if you don't give us a plan, if you don't give us a permit, it's going to be, quote, a free-for-all. Now, you might be asking yourself, What does a free-for-all mean? Huh. You might want to think, well, maybe I wish I could talk to the Rolling Thunder organizer, Neil Sheard, who has, you know, been against the COVID restrictions. So it's a lot about this freedom. And guess what? Right here on the uh, big show, on the Evan Solomon Show, Neil Sheard. Rolling Thunder organizer Neil Sheard will join us. So here we are today, later in the program. We have just confirmed that the organizer of the Rolling Thunder motorcycle convoy rally is coming. And we all ask him, what are you protesting? What should we expect? What do you think the police are going to do? Are you here permanently? I I very much believe that whatever side of these things you're on, 
let's just start from some fundamental principles. Like what are the principles that we're moving from? Let's go from principles first, strategy second. The first principle that we should all as a society agree on is the freedom of speech, right? The freedom, the right to protest and the right to assemble freely. That's a bedrock protected in our charter, protected in the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. We have that. But Section 1 of the Charter puts reasonable limits on that. Your freedoms cannot infringe on someone else's. So freedom isn't a free-for-all. Freedom isn't, hey, you can drive your motorcycle at any speed down the road. There are speed limits. There are reasonable limits. You can't park your car anywhere you want. You can't block off any street you want. There are laws that are enforced judiciously, we hope, by the police. So, yes, anybody who's here, doesn't matter if you like what they're saying, you disagree or agree, that's not what rights are about. Rights aren't about you're free to do whatever you want as long as you agree with me. No. That's the opposite of what freedom is. So let's protect freedom of speech, freedom to the right to freely assemble, the right to protest. Those are bedrock principles in our democratic society. And I think the Rolling Thunder people should avail themselves of that, as should anyone. But now the question for the police is, what are the limits? And there are other societies. As we say, the right to swing your fist ends at my nose. You cannot harm my freedoms. There are businesses that have been shut down in the last protest they suffered people people's lives were badly disrupted bridges were blocked this encampment this illegal it wasn't a legal occupation you can't just park your trucks on roads and just leave for three weeks and hope nothing happens oh we're peaceful though yeah but you're blocking the road that's illegal it's either illegal or not and so As Campbell Clark in the Globe and Mail pointed out today, there are two questions to ask. One, what is the nature of the emergency? And two, what is the threshold to use the Emergencies Act? Well, we don't know what the nature of the emergency will be in the rolling thunder. We have no idea. So let's not pretend it's the trucker protest. It may not be that at all. But police have to take precautions to make sure it isn't. They would be naive if they were. So we're going to talk to the rolling thunder organizer, Neil Sheard. So that's on the agenda. And I think this is going to be really tricky balance. What is the balance between a secure and safe and law-abiding city and an environment where you and I want to be able to freely walk around safely, not be intimidated, not be disrupted? Don't people have the right to live in their cities like that? Absolutely. By the same token, don't people have the right to protest things? Absolutely. What is the balance? Rights and responsibilities. We understand that. So that's, a, that's kind of the theme today. And Bill Blair standing by and the Rolling Thunder organizers standing by. And then I'll get your thoughts on that. But here's another rights and responsibility. This is a really interesting one. I don't know where I stand yet. And, I, and I'm hoping you're going to help me on this. As a parent or as a student. Okay, so... so We've got the general counsel, so this is a lawyer, in Pennsylvania. Now get this, try, try to go with me here because this is coming up. This is, so there's, a, there's an elementary school in York, Pennsylvania that is being sued because they believe 
the plaintiffs, that there's a violation of the Constitution. Why? Because in the elementary school, the school board said you cannot establish a satanic temple after school Satan club. Seriously. The after school Satan. What? Now, here's where I am. I'm like, I'm a parent. Like, I, I really believe in free speech and, you know, I just said to you, free speech isn't about what you agree with. I, I don't know much about the satanic temple. I'm just not into it. It freaks me out. Maybe it's, I, I, we'll find out about it. But if my kid's elementary school had a Satan club, as a parent, would I be like, okay, no, I don't want my kid in the Satan club. I don't want the satanic temple having an after-school club. But then the, the school board says, well, there's an after-school club for the uh, Christian kids or the Jewish kids or the Muslim kids. Why can't the Satanic Temple have one? Where's the line? Well, is this infringing on my constitutional right? What about religious freedom? And then guess what? I don't want my kids in the Satanic Temple. I'm a parent. This is not a hard choice for me. But do I now inflict my views and infringe on the rights of others? So we're going to meet the lawyer defending the satanic, like this show, there's so much going on on the show today, but we're going to begin. So it's rights and infringements and freedoms. Like the whole show today is this conundrum and I, and you'll be involved in the debate. So we're going to kick it off with Bill Blair. Okay. We're going to kick it off with the debate about the use of the emergencies act and how they follow up. Helping you through these unique times. This is the Evan Solomon Show. A national inquiry into the federal government's use of the Emergencies Act. Remember, they they invoked it to end the Freedom Convoy because the law was not enforcing itself. The police were not enforcing the law. The nation's capital was overrun for three weeks. There was no law enforcement. Now, the question is, how bad was it? And when they finally have this public inquiry that will uh, report within a year, within less than a year, this is the law. The law is when you use the Emergencies Act, you've got to have a national public inquiry. There's Justice Rouleau is going to oversee it. He's going to be able to compel witnesses. He's going to be able to get documents. But what is the line? They're going to examine using, using the act. And if it was justified, I asked Bill Blair, the minister of public safety yesterday, will the commission, will the commissioners be given all the powers, not only to compel witnesses, I know that's part of it, sir, but all cabinet confidential and classified documents relating to the use and the government's decision to use the Emergencies Act. Will they get access? Yeah, Evan, as you, you've already suggested, we are following the law. Uh, the, the Emergencies Act requires that we, f- we f- uh, form a public inquiry into the circumstances giving rise to the, to the use of the authorities under the Emergencies Act. And, and, and today we've stood up that, that public inquiry. We're using the, the actual the Inquiries Act 
to give the commissioner all of the authorities that the Public Inquiries Act provides to enable him to co compel uh, witnesses' testimony under oath and also to compel the production of documents. Now, there are, within the, the Canadian law, certain limitations on, on relevant uh, issues of, of evidentiary privilege that, that do exist in law. Um, but but the, the Commissioner will have all of the authorities uh, vested in the, in the Inquiries Act to enable him to do the important job that we've asked him to undertake. Your government has in the past resisted calls uh, to release documents under, under the claim of cabinet confidentiality and security reasons. Again, the production of documents is critical here. So the Commissioner will have the powers to um, see uh, cabinet confidential documents and um, other confidential documents um, subject to what rubric? Who decides if what he can or cannot see? That's, I think, the critical question here. Well, Evan, let me be, let me be very clear. In the Canadian criminal law, Canadian civil law, there are certain relevant evidentiary privileges that are re well recognized in law, and they will certainly apply during this inquiry. But we have undertaken that the, the commissioner will have broad access to the relevant information he needs to make his determination and to do his job. We've given him extraordinary powers to compel testimony and compel the production of documents. And we've also said that he'll have access to certain classified documents with, with, with certain limitations. The, the commissioner will have access to them, but some of that information, certainly of a national security interest, should not be made public. Um, in, in the national interest, and, and therefore, you know, I, I'm very confident that the commissioner will follow the, the law, um, and as, as the Inquiries Act enables right. him to get the information he needs to do the important but, work that we've tasked him with. Okay, I, I'm going to just press because I think this is important. If there are classified documents, sir, and, or if there are cabinet confidential documents that do have legitimate security concerns, which I totally appreciate may or may not happen, the commissioner will have access to it in order to uh, come to a some kind of conclusion, even if those documents uh, have to be shielded from the public, the commissioner will be able to have documents either on an in-camera secure basis. Is that right? Now, and, and to be very clear, Evan, there are, in Canadian law, well-established um, precedents on determining for, for relevant uh, evidentiary privileges that do exist, and for example, uh, solicitor-client privilege, which is, a, which is I, I think, one that most Canadians would well recognize as, in, as an important uh, privilege that, that needs to be maintained. And, and certainly the Commissioner, as a very respected and, and experienced jurist, is well familiar with the limitations of, of, of those privileges, and, and I'm confident will be able to do his job uh, with, with, within the confines of the law. Uh, the commissioner can compel witnesses. Uh, will, if he compels the prime minister, uh, would the, will the prime minister testify? And if so, is any of that public? Well, and, and, and to be clear, let us not to get, far, to get too far ahead of the commissioner. He's, he's been given a, a very important mandate and the tools, I believe, necessary to do his job. Um, it's important for Canadians to understand that the commission under the Inquiries Act will operate entirely independent of government. The commissioner has a wide latitude to, to pursue information and evidence that he requires, um, and he'll make the decision. The, the commissioner actually will be the person responsible right, but, but, for but making I think the it's decision important. as to will what the... relevant may be relevant to his inquiry. I know, but, but would you, would other ministers, and will the prime minister say, we are willing to testify, we are going to cooperate if we are called to testify? Will the prime minister, and, uh, and... Is, has he signaled that he will? 
and, and Evan, you're, you're asking me to speculate on what the commissioner may, may what evidence the commissioner may uh, choose to examine. And I think we should leave that in all communication with respect to his inquiry to the newly appointed commissioner. Um, we've given him a big job to do. We've given him a mandate with the tools that he will be required to do that job. And, and now I think we should leave it to the commissioner to determine how but, those but, tools no, should I, be applied I, listen, and what's whether, the best way forward. But to, to be fair, I, I just want to press back on this again, Minister. The commissioner may or may not ask the prime minister or senior ministers. I assume he, he would want to know that because they were intimately involved in the decision making. But I'm not going to prejudge what he's going to do. But I certainly can ask if your government and the prime minister is willing to cooperate and testify if asked. That's, that, that is a signal that your government could easily send. Yes, of course, we're willing to testify and we won't fight that. And, and what I think I've been very clear with that, um, Evan is that the commissioner will have broad access to the information he requires. We've given him the tools that, that as a justice and as the commissioner of the inquiry, he will require to compel evidence and, and to compel the production of documents subject to the legal limitations and restrictions that already exist within Canadian law. And I'm not going to speculate beyond that. We'll, we'll leave it to the commissioner to determine uh, what evidence he, he chooses to call and, and what documents he may require to do his job. If the commissioner... Um I assume the government's prepared to accept the inquiry's findings no matter what. Uh, if the inquiry finds that the government should not have invoked the Emergencies Act, that it did not meet the threshold to do so, what are the consequences for, for the government and for the ministers involved? Well, I, I think it's important. First of all, uh, Evan, Evan, I believe very strongly that the situation that Canada faced during these protests, and particularly the blockades at, at, our, at our points of entry, were, were having a significant impact on Canada's critical infrastructure and therefore were a threat to national security. I believe very strongly that, that an emergency uh, did exist and that the invocation of this act was both necessary and, I think, prudent and measured and proportional to the circumstances that we were facing. We, we did what I believe was required. It, we did it only as long as it was required. Um, but, but again, the, it is the mandate of the inquiry. The legislation, by the way, has, has two sections, relevant sections. Section 62 provides for the establishment of a parliamentary committee, right. a committee of parliamentarians to examine all of the circumstances leading it, and that has already been established right. and is well underway. Section 63 requires a public inquiry, and, and, and we have now stood I, that I up that. and resourced it appropriately with, with an outstanding jurist in order to head it but, up. And, and so we look forward but, to the results but, of that but inquiry. But if, if, he does find, if he does find it didn't meet the threshold, are there any consequences? That's my question. Well, well again, I, I would point out two things. First of all, Evan, this is the first time in, in over 35 years that this legislation has been used. Um, but we did it with great caution, with great care, and, and, we, and we, we acted, I, I believe, quite advisedly. Um, in, in bringing this forward, and very carefully. But that's for the commissioner but to I think determine, the, though, right? I don't, I, and ex exactly so, and I don't want to get ahead of the commissioner. I think he's got a very important uh, responsibility to all Canadians to conduct a thorough inquiry and to provide us with that information. We very much look forward. Uh, and we respect the work that the, the, the commissioner will do and look forward to his report. Minister of Public Safety Bill Blair, will they get the documents? We'll find out. What will be cabinet confidence? We'll find out. What are the consequences? There won't be any. Maybe politically. All right. We are going to come back to this topic when the organizer of the coming protest, the Rolling Thunder, up to a thousand motorcycles in the nation's capital this weekend. He'll join us. But coming up next, Freshy 
is in the news after a Toronto Star story on a virtual cashier who's paid $3.75 an hour. We're going to weigh in on this, and so will you. From coast to coast to coast, the newsmakers talk here. This is the Evan Solomon Show. So this story, credit to the Toronto Star, is about fresh. You ever bought fresh? You know me and, and, and expensive salads. As I mow down on a homemade salad today. Fresh, if you go to Freshie and you get some of their food, and, and Freshie's a franchise that's got hundreds and hundreds of locations across the country. According to the Star, Freshie customers, and I'll quote the Star, uh, have already encountered Percy, says the article. It's a video calling device attached to cash registers, says the Star, at a select few Freshie locations across Ontario, and it lights up. It's basically a digital cashier. Turns out it's not digital. It's actually someone's processing the order from a Nicaraguan call center, as I'm quoting here, nearly 6,000 kilometers away, where they earn much less than the Ontario minimum wage. Huh. So these guys, Freshie, you know, we're broadcast from B.C. all the way across the country, from west to east and north. Uh, They got 343 franchises, restaurants. And this is their... um, kind of new thing and the, the paul hughes we tried to to, to contact freshy but their chief business development officer paul hughes told the toronto star just like with uber eats skip the dishes self-checkout options and other emerging ordering technologies freshy is always looking to be an early tester and adopter of new tech solutions that might make it easier for our customers to order healthy meals and our franchise partners to run more successful restaurants okay now, a lot of people are super mad about this because the virtual cash years get $3.75 U.S. an hour. But if you work here, a server would get between $12 and $16 an hour. Minimum wages, $15 an hour Canadian. 15 bucks an hour. Now, it's totally legal because the, the, the Employment Standards Act means that, you know, you can outsource. And a lot of people are really angry about this. So, uh... I'm going to ask you, what is the difference? Do you support Freshy doing this? Using a digital cashier, not a job in Ontario, not a job in Quebec, not a job in BC, not a job anywhere in Canada. A job somewhere else where they get to pay the person under four bucks instead of 15 bucks. So they're saving money. 1-855-633-1010 or 7-1010. 633-1010 or 71010. Do you support Freshy doing this or not? When I first heard about this, you know, your gut reaction is this is this is gross. You're paying someone 375 an hour, which is nothing. But maybe in Nicaragua it's, it's it works, but it doesn't work here. We're losing a job in Canada. And I don't like this. And then you think, well, wait a second, slow down. When I called for a service on my computer, there was a call center in India. Why was that okay? When I look at the shoes I'm wearing, the car I drive, the shirt I'm wearing, where the groceries I come, I buy come from, there's someone being paid below minimum wage to harvest the food, and there's someone paid below minimum wage in other countries. I'm, I'm talking about if I buy like a pineapple. 
or to make products. Outsourcing is the way. And what bugs people about Freshie, you know what bugs people about this story? Is that it's in your face. You're seeing someone in Nicaragua and you're like, God, I'm actually paying this person $3.75 an hour. And the problem is it's like in your face, but you're doing it anyway. Half the products you have are cheap because someone's getting lower wages. Now, you can say that's globalization. $3.75 in Nicaragua is like 15 bucks here. But they're... Per capita income, their standard of living is significantly lower. Let's not lie to ourselves. Same if, you know, you're wearing clothes from that are made in Bangladesh. This happens. That's why there's global movements to raise the standard of living and the wages, minimum wage, for a lot of workers. That's why in the new NAFTA accord that Mexico and the United States and Canada signed, the labor movement, the automakers, everyone was trying to lift the wages of Mexican workers, not because it's like, hey, we should just help Mexican workers. It's because... Mexico is saying we can offer cheap, cheap labor, and unless they have labor equity, Canada will lose jobs to factories in Mexico. So we want those workers to be paid more, not only for them, but so it's more competitive for us. Jimmy, what's up? You on the line, Jimmy? Uh, Here, Evan. Thanks for taking my call, buddy. Yeah, my pleasure. What's your take on the freshie? So, actually, I have a friend of mine that outsources some work. He does some web designing, and uh, he outsources it to the Philippines. And he pays about, you know, same thing, about three, four bucks an hour. And uh, he actually talks with uh, this one particular individual all the time. She's, I mean, she's happy with what she's getting. Uh, obviously, you can't compare Philippines in here. But the point I'm trying to make is, is that, you know, you, you can't survive off of, like, especially in, in today's day and age. Like, there, there's no way somebody can survive off of 15 bucks an hour. Unless you're a teenager living at home with mom and dad and you got no, no expenses, okay. You make your 15 bucks an hour, and you know what it's like to, to you know, like that life is tough. And that $15, you know, it, it really isn't much, even for a teenager. But I guess, like, you know, the way that things have been going, and, and I, own, I own, you know, a few businesses myself, and I've really noticed, you know, before COVID, or, or when COVID first started, like my father and I, were, we'd have some conversations sometimes. And we, we had a conversation and we were like, listen, when, when this starts to get better and things start to open up, people are going to be lining up for jobs. And it has been the complete opposite. Mm. Uh, I have such a hard time finding good work. That's a big issue. And the work, the, yeah, and the workers that I do have now, people that, you know, I don't have a high turnover because I, I try and take care of all my staff, but... When I do have a new worker coming in, it's like they have all this sense of entitlement and it's like, you know, you ask them, I'm just using this as an example, you know, you ask them to go wipe down some tables and they're looking at you like, well, that's not what I signed up for. And it's just like the, the way things are going and I, I just, I'm not sure where it's going to end up. But Well, well I appreciate the call. The First of all, you, and we're going to do another tech on, on the labor shortage. It's a big issue. But I got so many calls on this. Okay, Jimmy, I love that call. Thank you. Uh, someone just tweeted out... Um, this is so gross, says Rob. You're selling overpriced salads, Freshie. Pay workers a living wage. Um, call centers are in the Philippines. There's no difference, Evan. Get over it. Uh, let's take another. Listen, this is a really interesting issue. Uh, what do I got? Mark, what's up? Hey, how are you? I'm good. What, what, what's on your mind, buddy? Honestly, I think Freshie's a business. It's not a public do-good service. It's about business, not about making and creating jobs. 
So, so, but, but I get that. I mean, look, I mean, but by that, by that logic, businesses should be able to do anything they want as long as it's profitable. There is corporate responsibility. They're selling something. Do you mind a business that would, is paying, saying, you know what, I'm going to displace a worker here so I can pay someone in Nicaragua, you know, under four bucks? Well, I think that's their business decision. Again, if they're going to lose customers because of that, I see. that's okay. up to them. Oh, that's good. That's a fair point. Fair. Maybe, maybe the market decides. Okay. I appreciate that. Uh, Jim, what's your take? Oh, hey, good afternoon, Evan. Uh, my first uh, reaction, knee jerk, was, hey, that's, you know, bad on Freshy. And it's had a, as, as I've had a chance to think about it all day, it's like, well, we live with automated services all over the place. The yeah. grocery store, self-checkout, this, that, and the other thing. We can all think of a million of them. So, you know, hey. Uh, good for Freshy here. It's just the reality of, uh, of you know. Of but what about, can I ask you, I get that, and, I, and I'm not trying to put, put my stamp one way or the other here. I think it's complicated, but my question to you is, what don't we want to protect jobs in Canada? If every company can outsource everywhere, who the hell is going to be employed in Canada? Well, I don't think every, well, every company can't outsource everything, but this is, this is an interesting take on sort of the next step. You, you, Freshy, Totally under pressure, stock-wise company. From a business standpoint, yeah. trying to reduce overhead makes a lot of sense for Freshy. This is just an in-our-face, new novel way, like, wait a sec. Uh, this isn't, like, I mean, if you go into a grocery store, go into whatever grocery store you go into, don't go, to, don't go down the main line, go over to the, you know, self-checkout. And what if there was a, a, a robot there going, you know, Good afternoon, Mr. Solomon. Well, that, uh, you know what? You. I, I got, I'm coming to a break. I can. You know what I'll do? I'm going to continue this. I was going to talk about how much we're paying for coffee and, and your best coffee, the coffee wars. But I'm going to displace that. I think we're on to something here. I think people want to talk about, do companies have a responsibility to pay a wage or should they pay someone overseas cheaper? one 1010 or 71010. The Freshy Wars continue. Through the changes, here's Evan Solomon. So Jacob Lawrence uh, from the Toronto Star does an excellent job breaking this story. That breaking this story, he noticed it. It did what a, did what a good reporter does. And shout out to Jacob Lawrence uh, and check it out on the Star. I, I, I always like to give credit. Whoever breaks a story, you know, and brings it to our attention, deserves the credit. Loathe when media grabs credit for someone else's work and got to be called out. I know sometimes it's just a mistake or they're confirming or they didn't know. I don't want to be a zealot about it, but this was a good story about Freshy that Jacob wrote. Um, and he found out when he went to Freshy, which has got like 343 locations across Canada, that they've got a virtual cashier who works for $375 an hour. Why can you pay that cashier? 375 an hour because they're located in Nicaragua. And I've been asking you to weigh in on this. Is this the right thing to do? Look, half the stuff you own is outsourced and workers are working below the minimum wage in British Columbia, Quebec, or Ontario. That's the way it is. That's why your products are cheap. When you're going to Walmart, you're buying products that are made by people who are paid under minimum wage often. That's the way it is. Doesn't mean you should like it. I'm just telling you reality. 
Now, maybe there should be a global movement to pay a decent living wage. Maybe companies that are profitable should be paying a decent minimum, a decent living wage. People don't like this because this is in their face. But, you know, someone who's like, this is disgusting by the unions don't like this. I get it. These are jobs not in Canada. This is not a living wage. There's a company making big profits because they're able to pay someone under four bucks an hour. But that's, is it business? Or some conservatives are saying, this is what happens when you raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour. Companies will try something else. But we know from studies, just to be clear, for facts sake, that when the raising of minimum wage happened, it did not hurt the economy at all. Didn't Jobs weren't lost. There's no, actually no correlation. Zero on that, just for the record. But, you know, you don't know. Now, should the, does this make you want to shop at Freshie? Are you mad at Freshie? Jocelyn, what's up? What, what, what's your sense of this? So this is just a symptom of what's happened in Canada. And you're talking about wages. But when you run a business, there's a lot of more inputs than just wages. Um, we've seen, I, why well, I own a business in Scarborough, skyrocketing energy costs. Our energy cost has gone up 70%, 70%. So when you look at that and you have clean fuel standards and carbon tax and all of these inputs, something has to give. And so what you're seeing is companies are trying to survive and do what they can to survive. And, and uh, if we want to keep jobs here in Canada, we have to look at how competitive we are mm. as an environment for business. Uh, I will say this. On November 8th, the stock at Freshie was $2.45. Today, what is the stock price? $1.67. And it's down in the last day, by the way. Their stock is down today, you know, from a buck seventy-two to a buck sixty-seven. Uh, but yeah, they're not exactly. It's not a booming business. Uh, and you're right; the inputs are bloody expensive. Usually, by the way, labor is the number one cost. As you, uh, but but as you say, energy costs, rent costs, labor costs. Yeah, and 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 businesses are going to turn to solutions. And and sometimes those solutions are outsourcing, Jocelyn, you're right, and that will cost jobs in this country. Now, politicians and unions uh, are fighting this, and they have to, or else, you know, eventually technology will outsource our country, and we've seen that, and that leads to a lot of anger. Uh, Dan, what's up? Hi, hi, Evan. Jocelyn had it right uh, in your your previous caller. You, you know, as a business owner, you know, a Toronto Star writer and any any lefty, for example, they can cite whatever they want. And even you cited that study uh, about um, wage increases don't amount to price increases. Of course they do. You know, in, in here in Ontario, the uh, wages went up pre-COVID. They went up sixty percent over five years. And now, with now, now the minimum has to be the market wants you know anywhere between seventeen and twenty dollars. You have the NDP saying they want to raise it to twenty dollars. If you're in retail, that's your number one cost, and it's the only cost you can control. And I've seen it in in my business and my friends' businesses. What happens is you cut hours to a minimum, you automate, and I don't know why we're picking on Freshie. If you go to McDonald's, you use the electronic tablet to order. If you go to restaurants, you use electronic tablet. Um, outsourcing has been going on forever. When you buy a cheap blender from China, that was tooling and manufacturing yeah, and engineering that was done in Ontario 40 years ago. Uh, I, uh, let me just say this. There's multiple studies on did 
is raising the minimum wage a job killer? Because that's been what people had said. And it turns out that, you know, Scotiabank's done studies on that. There's lots of studies that, that actually it, it didn't kill jobs. Now, does it, of course, I, like I'm just telling you the data. I can't, you know, I, I'm not saying it doesn't make labor more expensive. It does. The question is, did it have a harmful impact on the economy or did it roll through? These people are making more money. They're spending more money in the economy. I'm just saying it did not. The labor market was... Like, I'll give you, uh, during the 2017 and 2019 in Ontario, according to the chief economist at Scotiabank, I know you're, you know, and by the way, this, this story is not a lefty story. It's just pointing it out. Uh, Scotiabank said it's a, a very strong labor market, saying it's difficult to say there's any negative impact on the minimum wage increase. I'm just citing a Scotiabank study. That study is about five years too old. I'll tell you when those increases happened was around 2017, 2018, and so forth, right up until COVID. That was an incredibly strong job market, and there was high growth in alternative markets. So if you're increasing wages in retail and, and jobs are lost there, you can easily, easily, even now, find jobs in the e-com, anything to do with digital world, media, uh, you know, internet programming, all those things could replace our way faster growth than retail. Right. And we, so, so I don't you don't mind, I'm just, just on this, time. on yeah. this, you don't mind that Freshie's doing this. You're just saying this is the necessity to do it. They got to innovate. And if it means hiring someone for 375 in Nicaragua, you know, welcome to reality. Is that your point? Absolutely. That's a very good wage, by the way. It's, it's all like here, a house is a million and a half in Toronto starting in Nicaragua. Four dollars an hour will get you. I'll guarantee you that's a high paying job in Nicaragua and it's increasing their standard of living. Yeah. Um, okay, I appreciate the call. I, I, I don't off the top of my head. Let me be candid. I have no idea what the standard of living is in Nicaragua, but it's a developing country and it's significantly lower than Canada. The question is, uh, is it a, a living wage? Now, you know, we don't live in Nicaragua, but um, Adam in Oakville, what, what's your sense of what, of, of, of listen, Freshie's just the story today. Every country's outsourcing. They're doing this. They're automating. They're outsourcing. This is the world. This is the pressure on labor. What's your, what's your sense of all this? Well, Evan, my uh, my opinion is that all it really comes down to is just an erosion of customer service on every level. And I'm not just talking about Freshy here. Frankly, I don't know how this works at Freshy. So there's still somebody supposed to be making my salad, right? So how is this really saving anything? Any any money? Well, a cashier, a cashier. Sure. Apparently, it's a cashier. Well, this is the same person cashing you and the same person making a salad. So it's the person making the salad still going to be there. So I don't quite understand this plan. But regardless of that, if you ever try to make a phone call to your bank regarding some sort of issue with your card or whatever, you're yeah. calling a customer service center somewhere. And in call, Asia. Yeah, you know, you're right, though. Customer service. You know, it has plummeted for a lot of people. Um, okay, I got to take a break. Uh, we've got the trucker, the leader of the uh, biker rally coming up. You're listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and this is the Evan Solomon Show. So is there going to be another big uh, protest in the the nation's capital? The organizer of Rolling Thunder uh, is going to join us, Neil Sheard, on the second day where the federal government is debating the use of the Emergencies Act. 
But in the meantime, in Pennsylvania, there's a lawsuit, a constitutional lawsuit in a northern elementary school in York, Pennsylvania. And that school is being sued because allegedly they violated the constitutional right of the satanic temple to establish the after-school Satan Club. And uh, Matthew Kaziah is the general counsel for the Satanic Temple. Hi, Matthew. Hi, Evan. How you doing? I, I know nothing about a Satanic Temple. I'm a parent of two. So when I hear the Satanic Temple, I'm like, oh, God, what is the Satanic Temple? So before we get to the case, because I, know, I, know, I recognize there's a constitutional element here, but first let's establish, because I imagine when you say the Satanic Temple, uh, everybody's got different views of what it is, because you know the brand kind of leads itself here. What is it? Sure. So the Satanic Temple is a non-theistic, non-supernatural, uh, non-supernaturalist religion. So it falls under the rubric of secular humanism. Um, a common misconception is that uh, TST, for short, literally worships a deity that Christians identify as the devil. That's not the case. Um, it's a group of group of folks who have a set of seven tenets that guide their beliefs and actions. Um, it's freely available online. It's everything from justice and empathy down to the uh, fallibility of mankind and uh, trying to do what's right, basically. Um, Why do they call it? Is it like, what's the, I know, and I'm on the website now, the mission of the Satanic Temple is to encourage benevolence, empathy, and reject tyrannical authority, advocate practical common sense, oppose injustice. You know, all that may be true, but once you decide that you call it the satanic temple like why go to all the trouble denying it has anything to do with the devil and satan when it's called the satanic temple that's what i can't quite figure out oh it has everything to do with the devil and satan so oh, okay uh, a lot of this comes from uh it's called the romantic satanist uh literature movement in the late 1800s um basically it it is a recharacterization of satan as personification of evil back in this time period uh, into more of an Enlightenment ideal. So Satan is imagined as the the Promethean icon of someone who rejects divine tyranny and says, I'm going to help mankind. I'm going to provide mankind with the benefit of knowledge and wisdom. Um, this is the notion of Satan that uh, at least TST's following uh, adheres right. to. So it's it's uh, romantic in the in the literature sense, not right. necessarily the, um, you know, lovey-dovey sense. Uh, if you go to the uh, the website, it says, I want to sell my soul, get rich, and join the Illuminati, etc. And then it says, please look elsewhere if that's your goal. So that's not what their goal is. So now, tell me what happened here uh, as I speak to um, the general counsel for the Satanic Temple in this case, Matthew. Keziah, uh, Matthew, so what's the case? What happened at this elementary school? So... Um, I, I feel like it'd be beneficial to get into a little bit of the background of of why this school and things of that nature. Is that helpful, or do you? Yeah, want yeah, to go for it. Like we, uh, we're okay. we're coming at this elementary school satanic temple. Go right. You can imagine. Right. You can imagine yeah. where we're coming on this. Um, not exactly. So this particular school, along with other schools in Pennsylvania, has um, midday religious services. So some kids are exiting the school and actually receiving permission slips from the school asking for parent parental permission that their kids are going to leave school midday and go to this local church. It's called Joy L. Bible Adventure Camp. 
um, at which place they're being told that if they don't believe like this church does, then they're going to go to hell and suffer for eternity and be separated from their parents, causing um, some children quite a bit of anguish. Um, one set of kids belonged to a member of TST who took issue with that, looked into it and said, well, you know, um, this this appears to be legally fine, uh, but I'm still uncomfortable with this thing being uh, the only religious group at our particular school. So I want to bring in a group of my type of people. So I want this after school. The after school Satan club is something that is somewhat national. There's four other programs going on. There's four after school Satan clubs currently in the U S currently. Right. Yes. Currently it's, uh, I think uh, yeah, Maryland doesn't Maryland recognize the satanic temple or something. Uh, everyone does. So right, okay. TST is, uh, federally recognized as a proper church, as a it's tax designated as a church, meaning you can donate and uh, write off from your taxes those donations. Uh, we had a two-day bench trial as to whether TST was a bona fide religion. The allegation on the other side was these are a bunch of pranksters or trolls or what have you, and the answer is no, TST is a bona fide religion. These people really, truly, sincerely believe this as their guiding principles. Now, can I just ask you something? And when I get to this, I know just for time, is there any creepy stuff that you do in the satanic temple? Like people are just going to ask, is there the blood drinking or praying to the devil or, you know, wishing harm on people? Like, is there any stuff that people are going to say, this is evil stuff? Uh, No, no, there's, there's no kicking of babies, no sacrificing of animals. Um, you may be surprised to learn that uh, a large number of Satanists are actually vegan, owing to the whole um, empathy towards all other creatures. And is it like, uh, just to, are the ceremonies to people wear mat? Like, what happens in the Satanic Temple? Well, so TST is a non-hierarchical uh, religion. So uh, there are certain rituals that there are guidelines for, but then you can play off it however you see fit, provided that it's within the guidelines of the set and tenets. So some people might choose to wear masks. Uh, I've not personally witnessed any any rituals that right. involve masks that I can think of. Are you in there, by the way? Are you a member of the Satanic Temple? I am. Oh, nice. Okay, so when did you join the Satanic Temple? Uh, about 2017. And you're, do you have kids? Like, is it, is it a family sitch? It's, uh, no, my wife is Christian, uh, no kids yet, we're working on it. So your um, wife is Christian, and, and is she cool with you in this, like, is there, what's the dinner table? I want to get to the constitutional things, but this is so fascinating. So she's like, hey, you're like, hey, I'm joining the Satanic Temple. What was the dinner conversation like? Uh, well, at first she had a lot of the same questions that you're asking right now, but, you know, over the course of about five years now, she's come to meet these people, and, and in all honesty, they are the most morally upstanding people we know. Uh, some of the best well-read, some of the just nicest people we've ever met. Uh, contrast, you know, we come from the American South, in which, you know, Christianity is more of a political identity than anything. So there's uh, there's a lot to unpack in, in that yeah. conversation. Um, so, 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 a- so, so now what? So the school says you can't, what's the basis for banning it? Oh, the basis for banning it is pretty much everything that you're, you know, uh, addressing as a possible concern right now. They took their preconceived notions as to what TST is because of the name Satan. 
um, and said, well, we don't like that, so we're going to exclude you. Uh, the problem is that this is straight-up viewpoint discrimination. Viewpoint discrimination occurs when a government says, I either do not like the content or the viewpoint from which this uh, expressive activity is happening, or I'm concerned with the public backlash right. the public, or it's called a heckler's veto, where uh, you know people are going to you know riot, or you know they're going to cause property damage, or you know they're just going to vote me out. Any combination of this is viewpoint discrimination. And they wrote us a nice little letter that said, you know. If, uh, we take issue with that because, you know, you're saying that you're Satanist, but I don't see anything about, you know, kicking babies, for example. I'm, you know, so, uh, so Matthew, uh, hold, hold on a sec. I'm coming to the end of this segment. We're broadcast sure. across the country here. I got to take a break. Would you stick around? Like, normally I was going to take texts and calls, which we do across the country. Would you want a, a Satanic Temple uh, a club, a Satan, after-school Satan club? But I'd like to continue this conversation uh, with you and then take some calls if you're up for it. Are, Matthew Kazai, are you up for that? Yeah, I can I can make some extra time for that. No are you sure? Okay. Uh, I, yeah. Because I just don't, I don't want to cut you short because I think the understanding issue is, like I had, I, my awareness of this was very low. So Matthew Kazai, the general counsel for the Satanic Temple, is up next. Should there be after-school Satan clubs? We're going to debate that next. Making sense of the latest news. You're listening to The Evan Solomon Show. Welcome back to the program. So, in a northern elementary school in York, Pennsylvania, there's a lawsuit going on because the school will not allow the after-school Satan Club. Yes, there is something called the Satanic Temple. They filed a lawsuit against the Pennsylvania school because they say the school is essentially denying them the right to establish a after-school Satan Club. And I'm asking you, would you want your school to have this? They may have, I mean, we're talking about rights and freedoms. Freedom. Freedom to do things people don't agree with. But, you know, I got to tell you, as a parent, I don't think my wife and I would be too keen on having a Satan club. Now, I know nothing about the Satanic Temple, but Matthew Keziah is the general counsel for the Satanic Temple. He's a member of the Satanic Temple, or TST, as they call it. And uh, he joins me now. Um, Matthew, thanks for sticking around. I, I just I didn't want to cut you off because I, I, I know this is going to get the kind of reaction uh, if you ask a normal parent and I, I, you know, like the average parent, not a normal parent, an average parent who knows nothing about the Satanic Temple, myself included. I'd be like, no, sorry, don't want that in my kid's curriculum because it just sounds bad. Now, what's the constitutional position of the Pennsylvania elementary school, the Northern elementary school, and what's your what's the satanic temples version of it? Like, what do you guys want? So we're not really talking about the law back and forth. We're, we're telling them that the law is clearly on our side. There's a 2001 case called good news club versus Milford uh, from the Supreme court, the United States Supreme court uh, in which the Supreme court lays out the law. It says, if you're a school, you have these after school clubs then you cannot discriminate against any particular after-school club because of its viewpoint. That's a viewpoint discrimination issue. That's a free speech problem. Governments cannot pick and choose which ideas to censor based on the popularity of those beliefs. But what if it was uh, a racist belief? Like, what if you? What if the KKK wanted to establish a, the after-school Ku Klux Klan? They they wouldn't be able to do that. Uh, I. 
I believe under American law, the answer is uh, probably yes. There's a bunch of KKK uh, free speech cases out there because of basically uh, this very issue. You have a public backlash. That's viewpoint discrimination. The uh, American law is very, very concerned with censorship because once you start calling some ideas um, dangerous, well, then what you do is you censor those ideas, and then that uh, usually leaves the public discourse in a position where they are less free to talk about pretty much anything. So we have very strong free speech rights uh, in this country. They're they're among the highest, if not the highest, set of rights. So uh, And so the Pennsylvanian elementary school says, don't we have the right to establish a curriculum of what's appropriate for children? Oh, sure they do. But after school clubs are... Defend, uh, by definition, they're non-curricular. So we're not saying that the school needs to teach our doctrine. Uh, what we're saying is that you have these other after-school clubs. You cannot discriminate against TST um, because of TST's viewpoint. That's They wrote us a nice little letter that explained very explicitly that it's because of TST's viewpoint. Uh, in fact, they made on-the-record statements that um, if we remove the name Satan, kept the kept the rubric that is the after-school Satan Club precisely as is, we'd be a lot better off. Uh, they wouldn't commit to accepting so it. So if there was like a, what if there was like, um, I don't know, a terror group club, you know, the Al-Qaeda club? <clears throat> There's probably, my, my guess would be there would probably be some kind of national. Like uh, Homeland Security issue on that. Yeah, because I know, for example, you can't. There, there's some law out there. I'm not. I'm not too boned up on this, uh, but I believe it is illegal to uh, provide material assistance to, for example, Al Qaeda. Yeah, like a terror. Uh, okay. So, and again, I'm not comparing the Satan Club after school Satan Club to that, but I'm just sure. trying to get the limits of this. So, so how long will this case go for? Well, you know, the uh, the the litigation process is a slow one. Um, there's a lot of uh, incorrect reporting that we've already brought suit. Uh, we have not already brought suit. It's it's not something that I can just turn around inside of a week or so. Um, so I have to first draft the complaint. It has to pass my factual review. I have editors that I have look at it as well. Um, and then it gets filed. Um, that process has not started yet. So, but, you know, to answer your question a shorter form. It's about three year process from complaint to end of the intermediate court of appeals, which is what you're entitled to. Uh, conceivably, it could go longer. Like for example, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court could take it up. They just took up a case yesterday. They heard oral argument on that happened in like 2017. So you know these these cases take years. It's a it's a very significant. And in the meantime, no Satan Club. In the meantime, no Satan Club in this particular school district. Okay, Neil, I really appreciate you joining me and finding out about this. Um, uh, I've got people wanting to call me at one eight five five six three three ten ten and, and seven ten ten. Thank you for your time um, and explaining this. A fascinating issue. Um, I really appreciate it. Of course. All right. Appreciate your time. <coughs> Neil Kazaya, the uh, general counsel for the Satanic Temple, one eight five five six three three ten ten or 71010. Now, they have different free speech laws, but let's say there was an extracurricular after-school Satan Club at your elementary school. Should it be allowed? I got to tell you, because we're about to, coming up next, I, you know, I'm going to be joined by this founder 
of the um, Rolling Thunder convoy, and they got I got problems with 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 some of their speakers, and this is where we've got to test our own issue of free speech, right? What do we What are we prepared to accept? Do you want an after-school Satan club in your elementary school? Uh, Jeff, what's up? If we can teach children the Bible in school or after school, the Satanic club should be able to, be, to teach whatever they want to teach. Once it's not um, explicit sexual or violent material, I don't see any reason why we shouldn't have a Satan club because... Some of the worst people I've come across are people that actually go to church. And some of my clients who are either atheists or Satanists are some of the best people. And I grew up in church. Some of the best people I know. So if we're going to moralize on, on one religion over the other, that's discrimination. So if we can have after-school Bible classes, we should be able to have after-school Satanic classes once there's no okay. violence. Yeah. Yeah. So you you you'd say okay, you know that's it. Uh, okay, that's really interesting. Thank you for the call, uh, Tom. Let me bring on some more views. After school Satan Club uh, should it be allowed? Free speech? Or what's your take on this? The problem is uh, it could be under the guise of religion, and there's so many religions, as far as I'm concerned, which go against the grain of well, I would say good Canadian values. Not cutting them up. Just want to sort of throw that out there. I have a good friend who's a Muslim, and he is absolutely adamant that gays, and if you look at the sort of the Muslim mantra pertaining to gays or homosexuality, the same thing with the Catholic Church, even from that perspective, if you're an absolute devout Catholic. So if you're going to nip the Satan thing in the bud, then where would it end? Well, we do have freedom. I mean, look at, we do have freedom of religion here. Like, you know, there are views that Jews, Muslims, Christians have um schools like if there was an after school muslim club an after school jewish club an after school christian club or a catholic club uh sh- should you be allowed to say yeah those are good for actually but not the satan club but i mean is there no i, I just wonder I, I mean i asked him if there was the after school ku klux klan club now that's a hate group here but it's fascinating um i appreciate the call i i gotta say as a parent, I just don't want my kids involved in the Satan uh, temple. I, I'm just telling you. But then you talk to him, and he seems like a decent guy, and 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 maybe I just have no ideas about it. But we're gonna test this. Oh man, I mean, I, I'm gonna test this theory again. And and you know, not everything's black and white. You've got the organizer of the Rolling Thunder convoy headed to Ottawa this weekend. This guy Neil Sheard. Now. What's this all about? Let's test the right to protect things you disagree with and the right of freedom of speech with other things. We're going to find out next. Here it comes. As your world changes, we adapt to get your answers. Now more with Evan Solomon. The Rolling Thunder 
demonstration, up to a thousand motorcyclists coming to the nation's capital this week. And the interim police chief said they're going to block off key areas. They're concerned about it. They're going to let protests happen. But after the trucker convoy, they're obviously going to be very cautious about what this is going to mean. Now, the organizer of the Rolling Thunder demonstration headed to Ottawa is Neil Sheard. And he joins me now. Hi, Neil. Hi, how you doing? Just so people know who you are, you're a veteran, right? You you, you yes, served our country in the fourth. Give us your history, please. Okay, first of all, this is not a demonstration. This is not a protest. This is not a convoy. From the beginning, we've been saying that, and everybody keeps saying it's a convoy, is Freedom 2.0. This is not what it is. This is a bike rally to help heal and give back that dignity to that uh, monument that was desecrated by the uh, powers that be. So okay. anyway, what's your, well, happened. let's talk, we'll talk about that in a minute, but just, I want people to know who you are a bit. Uh, you you served our country where? Um, I did 12 years and I did two tours in Afghanistan. Okay. And so there's, and how many uh, members of uh, veterans uh, will be joining you at the, at the rally? Um, I'm hoping there's going to be thousands because the word's gone out and the boys are ready to go. They're coming in to take back that monument. What, what does take back the monument mean? Take it back from whom? It's, it's, it's there. Well, I walk by it every day, and people are honoring uh, veterans every day there. Who, who, who are you taking it back from? Well, the powers that be decided to uh, desecrate it by putting up a seven-foot fence all the way around it. And the veterans thought, that is wrong. So eventually, the veterans came down and took it down in an organized manner, and they put it to the side. The city can come and pick it up. It was all good. And uh, we came to an agreement with the police that uh, we would guard it because they said we can't guard it. So, well, we will guard it 24-7 to stop any vandalism and stuff like that because that was what was coming out of the media. And the police agreed with it. And well, you saw what happened in the it. trucker convoy with some people desecrating the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. You saw it. I saw it. Um, one, year, one young lady, she jumped on top of the, uh, yeah. the Unknown Soldier. Yeah. And she was shouted off real quick. Okay. And then the picture that was shown of uh, somebody urinating on it, it was on the bottom step, and it looked like somebody, somebody's dog had walked over and uh, marked it. There was no desecration by the people. But, but what are you taking it back? Like, I'm just, I mean, I'm just trying to understand. Anyway, are you going to take down the fences this weekend? There's no fences up there. We took them down. And we were guarding it. And then the powers that be decided to come in and physically remove veterans of sacred ground. Plain and simple. So that was a desecration. That monument belongs to veterans. It also belongs to Canada, too. Because that, that, that monument is a receipt for every person that has paid the ultimate price of freedom in this country from the Boer War right through Afghanistan. I understand that. So now, does this, does this have any connection to the... the the vaccine issue, the anti-vaxxer issue, the anti-vaccine mandate issue, and is there any relationship to that, or is this purely about veterans? Purely about veterans. If it's purely about veterans, why is your featured speaker a guy named Chris Skye? I, I, and he, uh, I want, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. He has nothing to do with this. Isn't he? It's on your website, Rolling Thunder. Chris Skye is a featured speaker. That's I'm it. looking on it. He's not a he's not a feature in this. He's got nothing to do with this. Is he not speaking at the rally? 
No, he's not speaking. He is not speaking on that monument. He may be off somewhere else speaking, but he has nothing. So it says Rolling Thunder Ottawa official. I'm just looking at the schedule. Is this your website, rollingthunder.ottawa.com? Yeah, and that is a situation of what is happening for the day. I know, but you've got, but he's supposedly 2 p.m. Rally and march at Parliament Hill with special guest speaker Chris Guy. Is he part of it? No. No, he is, he is not part of what is happening on the monument. I know, a, but, it, 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 I, I know but, but like, I just, I don't want to parse, Neil. Okay. Like, right. he, I'm, he's on your website as a feature. I just want people to know who this guy is because not a, he's not a veteran. He's an nope. anti-Semite. He's a racist. He's a guy that, he's a Holocaust denier. He has uh, said the most disgraceful mm. things about Jews. Uh, he's he's talked about the great replacement theory. Wow, he said he there said, we well, I'm reading. I can read go. you what he I don't want to read it. But he said horrific things about Africa, how about, about we, blacks. How about the reason why we're there. But how? why would you include him? Because, Neil, it is important I if you're legitimizing him. I'm asking a serious question. If you're legitimizing a Holocaust denier, doesn't that undermine your message? It's disgraceful. Like, what do you do there? Why feature him? Chris Guy has nothing to do with what is happening on the veteran side, okay? There's a, there's a list of the things that will be happening on that day. He is not a special guest of us. He's not part of Veterans for Freedom. This has got nothing to do with Chris Skye. Okay, so are you part of... I'm just trying to understand this because I... Everyone, are you part of Rolling Thunder Ottawa, the official website? Like, I'm just, is that you, Neil? Because I thought you were the organizer of the Rolling Thunder Ottawa, the official event. I am. Okay. Like, well, I, like I'm not trying go, to put words in your mouth, but go, he's on your... No, no, I, I, you, you yeah. listen, man, you know me. I've been out at these rallies. I'm trying to understand this legitimately. I, I you know, I, 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 I thank you for your service to the country. Believe me. And I believe in freedom of speech, but I'm trying to understand, sir, why a rally that you organize would include a guy who whose beliefs are so abhorrent. About their so their racist views, their Holocaust. Why is he? It says rally special guest speaker Chris Guy. I'm just trying to figure that out, Neil. What's the relationship? There is no relationship between me and Chris Guy. Done. Okay. How did he get Let's on? How did he get on the guest speaker list of the rally you're organizing? He is part of what is happening in that day. Right. Why? Like, like, I get it. Like, you know, I understand the bikers want to go to their war memorial, and yeah. and, and I get that. But just real quick, if he's why are we he, hanging up? Why are we why are we uh, keep going on Chris Guy? Okay, I know you're saying I am this, that, and the other, and he's this, that, and the other. How about we just stay to the facts of what you asked me? Be- because if I give okay. you cre- because you're lending him legitimacy, that's why. You're giving your imprinture of legitimacy to a guy who has denied the Holocaust, who said horrifically racist things about blacks. Like, I'm just trying to understand why would you lend your credibility to that if you don't believe in anything he says? Free speech in this country, my friend. Free speech in this country. That's why veterans died. So he can say what he wants. So you can say what you want. But you're making a choice. Free speech, you, but you don't have to give him. He can say it. But why lend your imprimatur to say that? That's what I'm trying to figure out. You, you, you try and figure that out. Now, let's get back to why the bikes are here, how long they're going to be doing, 
what their route is, and all that stuff, okay? You've had your little say, so now let's keep going on. It's not my little say. I'm I'm trying to understand the ride. What if the police block the bikes? And I've talked to the senior police. They're going to make sure that the War Memorial, they say, is going to be blocked to everyone but pedestrians. What happens then? We've already figured that out. We've been working with the city. We worked with the police, and we now have a route, and it's all settled. We're not going around the monument. We are still going to do a drive-by. We're going to keep the bikes under control, bring them in, do a little bit of a salute with the bikes driving by down Mackenzie, and then uh, across the bridge of Mackenzie, back down onto Rideau, and then push out the city. And that's all it was. So, it was. And so there's not going to be, okay, so this is going to be, Neil, totally peaceful. Absolutely. The guys aren't there to, they're there to salute the veterans. They're there to give that dignity back to that monument, give some dignity back to veterans that were beaten by the police. They were handcuffed by the police and dropped out of town by the police. And they weren't charged. Will there be confrontation with the police, you think? Hell no. Sorry. No, there won't be any with the police. And, and, and what, what, what do you say, quick, I, I, the people of Ottawa who are worried, oh, there's going to be noise for, for two days and residences will be kept up at night. What, what happens at night? Bikes won't be running at night. They're coming in, do the run, go for a drive, and then they're done. Some will stay in the city to stay overnight and go shopping in a beautiful city. Some will go home. All right. Uh, well, yeah. Neil, how about that? I, I, I got to take a break. But, Neil, you know I, I also host CTV's Power Play. I'd love to have you on. I think people, there's a national attention on this thing. You know why. And I really appreciate you coming on. And, there, and, yeah. and you know, these are, these are tough and, and good discussions to have. I hope you join me tonight. I got to take a break on the Evan Solomon Show, and we'll talk more about this. Hang on. Finding answers to all your questions. You're listening to The Evan Solomon Show. There is a lot of talk about this so-called Rolling Thunder rally that's coming to the nation's capital. And everyone thinks, is it Trucker 2.0? A lot of the same anti-vaxxer types involved. So we just had an exclusive interview with Neil Sheard. Neil Sheard is an organizer. He is the organizer of it. He's a veteran. He served our country for 12 years. And he said explicitly, we're here to rally. We want to take back the, the monument for veterans. I don't know, take it back from whom? He's got a, an idea that it was stolen from veterans, even though um, it are, you know, there are members in service guarding it right now. I, I literally walk by the War Memorial every single day, twice a day. People are there. It seems very peaceful what they're taking it back from. I don't know. But look, Neil Sheart is the organizer of this. They're coming to the Ottawa. Fine. People have the right to protest. one 1010 or 71010. And I respect that. And I told you that. As long as you don't interfere with other rights. And he says he won't. But here's the problem, and I asked Neil about this. On the Rolling Thunder official schedule, on April 30th, 9 a.m., the bikers will all uh, get together and they'll muster and then they'll roll out to the War Memorial. And then on Parliament Hill, there's going to be a guest speaker named Chris Skye. Now, there's only one guest speaker. Neil kept saying Chris Skye has nothing to do with it, but he Neil's the organizer. On the schedule, there's one special guest speaker, and it's this guy, Chris Skye. Chris Skye, Chris 
Saka Kochia, I guess is his other name, is an open racist. He wrote Hitler was, quote, bang on. He's called the United States the United States. He denies the Holocaust. I've seen his repulsive videos. He's a disgrace. He's a longtime advocate of this. He believes in the great replacement theory, a racist theory that is concerned about white people being replaced. He doesn't believe that Jews were gassed by the Nazis. Debunk bogus conspiracy theory. He refers to Black Lives Matter activists as subhumans. He said Africa is a collection of third world countries because blacks lack the sophistication to make advanced civilization. He's a racist. He talks about blacks having lower IQ. Racist. He's an anti-Semite. He's homophobic. He's a disgraceful views. He's Islamophobic. He's vilified his, uh, Muslims. I, I, I can't even read all the disgraceful stuff he's written. And yet he's the featured speaker at the Rolling Thunder rally. So this is my question to you. And I mean this profoundly. I had Neil Sheard on. He's a veteran. He has every right to protest. Why Neil? Did you feature this disgraceful guy? And he said, oh, it's freedom of speech. But that doesn't mean you, look, it doesn't, because you are free to do something, doesn't mean you should do it. And and Neil denies that Chris Guy has anything to do with it. Listen to what Neil told me. Chris Guy has nothing to do with what is happening on the veteran side, okay? There's There's a list of the things that will be happening on that day. He is not a special guest of us. He's not part of Veterans for Freedom. This has got nothing to do with Chris Sky. If I believed Neil on that, and if, if Neil, who admitted, I'm the organizer, I put it together, and he's on your schedule as the guest speaker. So I don't know why he's denying it now. Listen to this exchange. He's not a, he's not a feature in this. He's got nothing to do with this. Is he not speaking at the rally? No, he's not speaking. He is not speaking on that monument. He may be off somewhere else speaking, but he has nothing. So it says Rolling Thunder Ottawa official. I'm just looking at the schedule. Is this your website, rollingthunderottawa.com? Yeah, and that is a situation of what is happening for the day. Right. So he's speaking. I mean, why are we splitting hairs on this? You, You made a rally, you put a schedule, and your only guest speaker on Parliament Hill is a racist. And I think that undermines a lot of what Neil's talking about. But, uh, and I think that's problematic. Uh, Sean, you're a veteran and a biker, I understand. I thank you for the service to the country. What did you make of that? I found that he was uh, threading a very fine needle, which is called BS. I don't, I don't think, I don't trust him. I don't think he's, he's, he's telling you the whole story. The fact that he said, quote, unquote, on the veteran side, well, that just means, well, okay, well, he's not, you know, it's not really having anything to do with us specifically, but he's going to be there, and, you know, they'll let him speak under the guise of, quote-unquote, free speech, but no, no, I, you know, the, the fact that he used the word, the powers that be, uh, to me was a, uh, it was a bit of a signal, a bit of a dog whistle that this guy's not telling the truth. I don't believe him, and you know what, at the end of the day, Evan, what's going to happen is once the event unfolds and the media picks it up, 
and the yahoos come out of the woodwork, whether or not they're associated with the bikers or not, that will all reveal itself in the moments after the event. And I guarantee you, I'm willing to put money on it, that that's exactly what's going to happen. There's going to be anti-masters, there's going to be anti-Semites, there's going to be Holocaust denier. Well, I mean, with, with the exception of Chris Sky, maybe he'll be the only Holocaust denier there, but it, they're giving him a forum. He, he's the only, he is the not. only special guest. Uh, can I just ask you before yeah. you go, Sean, where did you serve our country? Uh, well, listen, I'm going to be, uh, full disclosure, I was a reservist. I am a tourist short-timer. I have never served overseas. But That's okay. That's a, hey, listen. Three years as a reserve. Yeah, well, no, I just wanted to be clear because I don't want to make it sound like I was in Afghanistan. I and then not matter. Uh, you, you signed yeah. up and you served as a reservist. That's total. I think that the there's no distinction, my way, friend. Uh, thank you for that. And by the way, if I just say before I leave, uh, your, your piece on Bill Browderd on uh, freezing order, loved it. I bought the book. Amazing. Oh, it's an incredible book. Incredible book. Yeah. I appreciate that, man. Hey, thank you. Right, uh, I, by the way, yeah. I, if I had more time, I'd ask you what kind of bike you're driving. Uh, Nick in Montreal, what's up? Yeah, Evans, uh, you know, let's face it here. Who's telling the truth here? We don't really know who's, who's right or wrong. Everyone has their opinion. Everybody's what, right. No, 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 no. That's not, no, no, stop, stop. There are, what do you, you can't say, oh, the Holocaust didn't happen. Who's telling the truth? There's no, facts, say, man. There's say, facts. I, I didn't say that. I'm not I saying did you not did, say but, but I'm talking about Chris Sky. Like, let's not, like, everyone's got the right to free speech. I get it. But Chris Sky is making horrific allegations uh, and racist comments and denialism. There are facts that debunk him. So let's not get too caught up in relativism. That's all. Go ahead. Yeah, okay. There, yes, we do agree that the Holocaust, uh, but we don't really know how many number of people have really died there. Why, was there was an accountant there? No, yeah, anyway, there is an accountant. Sorry, we're, we're out. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, respectfully. I, I, thank you for the call. We do know how many people died because the Germans kept records. Do the research. Like, again, again, it's not like, yeah, there's a Holocaust, but we don't really... We do know. I've been to Auschwitz. I've spent a lot of time there with the records. Do the research on that. Yes. And there's no IQ difference between races, as Chris Skye is saying. No, we do know. These are facts. Like, like, be careful falling. And, oh, do we really know? Do the work, man. Don't deny. This is like when I talked to the Russian ambassador. Well, did the Ukraine, who knows who killed those people? Could have been the Ukrainians. No. Let's stick to, re- let's let reality interfere and rationality and reason. And again, great discussions today about free speech. But does free speech allow for hate speech? Uh, Power play tonight at 5. I'll see you there. 